Hey neighbor, I appreciate you stopping by. It's a great evening tonight. Fall's in the air. Won't be long. It'll be Christmas time. But hey, pull up a chair. I'll run inside the house and get you a cup of joe. I'll be right back. Hey, you're listening to Guat.Rocks, God, the World, and Other Things. I'm Kenny Price, your host. Our mission, advancing equilibrium in the midst of an agitated world. Folks, are we living in an agitated world or what? Yes, we are. Today's topic, the fight that advances love, part one. The fight that advances love, part one. Part two will be next, where we will look at some passage out of the book of Jude. But the subtitle, Waging the Good Fight of Faith, It's interesting, if I was going to have a subtitle for this, or an alternate title, I would call it Waging Heavy Peace, but the great musician Neil Young has already done that. It's interesting that a friend of mine was manager of a large luxury hotel located just north of Dallas-Fort Worth International Airport the night that Neil Young came through the doors. When I found out that he had actually met the great Neil Young, I said, oh man, tell me, how was it? How was he? I would love to meet Neil Young, and he said, well, it wasn't a very good experience, I said, what? I said, was he not a nice person? He said he was so intoxicated and belligerent that it was uncomfortable. And I don't say that to defame Neil Young. Neil Young is Neil Young. And if you know anything about him, you know how he is. The point being is that Neil, I think, actually sees himself as waging heavy peace. He's about peace. And we can have a delusional thought about ourselves and feel like that we're doing good when we're doing bad. We're waging peace when we're actually waging war. And yet, the gospel is about advancing the good fight of faith. If you want to know what's wrong with our nation right now, it's not a Republican problem. It's not a Democrat problem. It is a sin problem with the people who live within the borders of the United States. If we were to take a poll of how are we doing as a quote-unquote Christian nation, our report card would be F. And the F on the report card has to be laid at the feet of the people in this nation who call themselves Christian. The failure on the report card is not because of the lost world, dear friend. The failure, the FFFFs on the report card are as a result of our sin as so-called Christians and as our lack of struggling and contending for the faith with our neighbors, with our loved ones, with our work associates. I want to remind you that where we are presently as a nation has happened under the care of Democrats and Republicans. If we were taking a checklist and saying, well, how are we doing in the area of birth and children being born? Do they have the liberty and the right to be born without uh, imposition? And abortion is legal. How about in the area of morality? How are we doing? If we were to take the Bible and use it as a checklist against the condition of our present culture. How are we doing as a nation morally? Okay. Homosexuality, legal. Eh. Same-sex marriage, legal. Eh. Gambling, legal. And you know, something I had forgotten that evidently the federal government has made it legal for the gambling institutions to have online gambling within the states by computer. And so in Tennessee, I just saw an ad that they have online gambling here in Tennessee. So a person doesn't have to get in their car and drive to Las Vegas or to Shreveport to gamble anymore. They can do it in the comfort of the privacy of their own home office. Folks talk about a disaster to have someone that can sit at their computer and click, 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 click and put their family in massive debt is 
unthinkable failure. I remember years ago, a friend of mine, he had a a brother-in-law that moved in with them for a time. And I said, well, what's going on? And he said, well, he got in trouble in this city, had to, had to kind of like come here and lay low. I said, well, you know, what happened? Can you talk about it? He said, well, it became dangerous for his family and his kids. So he's come here with us to live for a time. I said, well, what's going on, man? What do you do? And he called him by name and he said, well, but he's a bookie. I said, a bookie? You mean like a, a gambling bookie? He said, yes. I said, what's happened? He said, well, he's gotten upside down on his numbers and they're looking for him. And in the gambling realm, folks, when you don't pay (laughs) the numbers, uh, they come looking for you and they take care of business. And so how are we doing in gambling? The moral issue of gambling. Eh. How about alcohol and alcoholism? Boy, prohibition, man. We got rid of that, didn't we? What have we got? Rampant alcoholism, (laughs) rampant people dying at the hand of a, a steering wheel. How about drug use? Well, my last podcast, a couple of podcasts ago, talking about the fact that in 15 states now the sale of marijuana is legal. And beyond the sale of marijuana being legal, uh, we find out in Colorado that there have they have pot farms. So how are we doing in the realm of, of morality? It's like we've waked up and we're in Back to the Future too. And so against that backdrop, what are we to do? Obviously, the solution is not in a Democrat or a Republican. The solution is in the gospel of the Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And the church has been neglect in guarding the gospel. The church has been neglect in promoting the gospel. I'm speaking from experience. I have been in the gospel ministry working at the local church since I was 17 years old. I'm 61 years old. That's a long time, folks. And I'm telling you from being on the inside of the machine that the problem with the world is not the world. The problem with the world is the so-called church. And when I say so-called church, I'm talking about the fact that the church is biblically the body of Christ. And the body of Christ is made up of all of the people throughout all of time who have looked to Jesus Christ as their personal Lord and Savior. So when we talk about the church, I'm not indicting the body of Christ, the true believers. I'm talking about the earthly organizations that you and I think of when we think of church. And it is the earthly organizations of the church who have left the world standing at their door. They have left the world cold and hungry. They have left the the world wanting and in poverty and in sin and in imprisonment, imprisonment, folks. And yet the Jubilee passage that my ministry is founded on says that what did Christ come to do? He came to set the captive free. And yet our world and our nation is more in bondage than it has ever been and most of it under the guise of legalization. And so, folks, we have got to come to the front lines. We have got to run to the battle, and we have got to wage war against that which is tearing us apart, and it's happening inside our churches. The Apostle Paul, in writing to his protege in the faith, Timothy, in the book that we call First Timothy, he begins to address this problem. It's still going on when he writes a second letter to Timothy in what we call Second Timothy. But I want you to hear what the Apostle Paul has to say about this as we do the fight that advances love. We wage the good fight of faith. We keep the main thing the main thing. So let's hear what Paul has to say, starting in 1 Timothy chapter 1. We're going to read verses 1 through 7 and then pick up in verse 18. The Apostle Paul says, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by the command of our God and Savior Jesus Christ, our hope to Timothy, my true son in the faith, 
grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father and Christ Jesus our Lord. As I urged you when I went to Macedonia, remain in Ephesus so that you may instruct certain people not to teach false doctrine or to pay attention to myths and endless genealogies. These promote empty speculations rather than God's plan, which operates by faith. Now, the goal of our instruction is love that comes from a pure heart, a good conscience, and a sincere faith. Some have departed from these and turned aside to fruitless discussions. They want to be teachers of the law, although they don't understand what they are saying or what they are insisting on. Timothy, my son, I am giving you this instruction in keeping with the prophecies previously made about you, so that by recalling them you may fight the good fight, having faith and good conscience, which some have rejected and have shipwrecked the faith. Among them are Hymenaeus and Alexander, whom I have delivered to Satan so that they may be taught not to blaspheme. So what's the situation here? What is Paul dealing with as he speaks to his protege, his disciple Timothy? Timothy evidently was considered the pastor of the church of Ephesus. The situation is false teachers had arisen in Ephesus, which Paul predicted many years previously in his farewell address to the elders of the church in Ephesus. In Acts chapter 20, verse 29 and following, he said, I know that after my departing, grievous wolves shall enter in among you, not sparing the flock, and from among your own selves shall men arise, speaking perverse things to draw away the disciples after them. So you have people that have crept in. Paul said this was going to happen. Now Paul is dealing with the situation that has come to pass. False teachers, wolves have crept in among them from within their own ranks, speaking perverse things to draw away the disciples after them. So that's going on. Also, what's happened? It says rejected conscience. The conscience is the inward faculty of distinguishing right and wrong, moral consciousness, conscience. And so what has happened here is that these false teachers, they have ejected, they have rejected their conscience. And the word rejected here, it's a forceful word. It says to use force in pushing or thrusting someone or something away or aside. Figuratively, it would be to repudiate, to reject. So what we have being presented are false teachers who have worked hard to eject their conscience. (laughs) Think about that. Conscience is something we don't hear much of in any church context today. We don't hear, I don't recall the last time I've heard anything spoken publicly, psychologically, counseling shows, what have you, about conscience. But yet the conscience is real. Acts 24, 16, it says, So I always take pains to have a clear conscience toward God and toward men. The Apostle Paul in Romans 13, 5, he said, Therefore, one must be subject not only to avoid God's wrath, but also for the sake of conscience. In 1 Corinthians 8, 12, it says, Thus, sinning against your brethren and wounding their conscience when it is weak, you sin against Christ. Folks, what we're talking about here are people that have, on purpose, who have determined to eject their conscience. They've rejected retaining morality, the concept of right and wrong in their thinking. Very, very dangerous. So these false teachers, Hymenaeus and Alexander, have thrown a good conscience overboard, thinking an unnecessary ballast, which results in a shipwrecked faith. GodQuestions.org on this subject writes, Hymenaeus and Alexander had tossed out the good conscience that comes with proper belief. In other words, they loved sin. The ship of their faith, not having the ballast it needed, went out of control and wrecked. So those who accept false teachings and ignore their conscience will suffer spiritual damage like a ship that hits the rocks and is broken up. 
a faith that has been gutted of the truth and sound reasoning that destroys the substance of things hoped for and the evidence of things unseen. The result is destructive, gangrenous, cancerous-like speech that capsizes the faith of others. As a kid, we used to say, sticks and stones may break my bones, but words will never hurt me. The saying is easy to remember, but it's not true. Words can steal, kill, and destroy. The strongest person can be waylaid with just the right words at just the right time. Words have immense power that can advance the cause of Christ or defame the name of Christ and cause the advancement of the good news about Jesus to falter. So the Apostle Paul, here's the situation. He's left Timothy as protege in Ephesus to combat these unqualified heretical teachers. And that means to wage war as a soldier. These false teachers are destructive, ignorant blowhards. In Paul's words, he said, they don't understand what they are saying or what they are insisting on. That's in verse 7. And he deals with them in the most severe way by turning them over to Satan to teach them not to blaspheme. Blaspheme means to speak against someone in such a way as to harm or injure his or her reputation occurring in relation to persons as well as to divine beings. Here the Apostle Paul says these heretics are damaging God's reputation among the Ephesians. In Romans, in Romans chapter 2, verse 24, he told the Jews in Rome that their hypocritical actions had blasphemed the name of God among the Gentiles. The sad hypocritical irony is the Jews would not even utter the name of God out of fear of being accused of blasphemy, yet by their actions they were blasphemed. God. Again, I quote from Got Questions. It's a great website, gotquestion.org. Got Questions is correct in their assessment that these false teachers, Hymenaeus and Alexander, did not lose their salvation. Either they were pretenders exposed for what they were, or they were straying believers disciplined by a loving God. So what are we after? What are we after if we want to see our world put back on course? The ideal is to combat false teachers to advance love. How do you do that? It says that love that issues from a pure heart and a good conscience and a sincere faith. So folks, the goal is always love. It's not destruction. It's not to tear down the benefits, sound doctrine that conforms to the gospel. Again, keeping the main thing, the main thing. The gospel is the main thing. What are the results? People are going to be put into faithful service. Mercy is going to flow. We're going to see people come into eternal life. The grace of God is going to flow with the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus the salvation of sinners, and ultimately, the Apostle Paul says, eternal honor and glory to King Jesus. Hey, that's win, 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 win. That's A plus, A plus, A plus, A plus, A plus against all these Fs. And you know what's interesting? I think this is so cool, is that the Apostle Paul, he makes it clear that what he's talking about them doing is no different than what God has done for him and through him. Starting in verse 12, all the way through 17, Paul says, hey, I'm the example. I thank him who has given me strength for this, Christ Jesus our Lord, because he judged me faithful by appointing me to his service. In verse 13, he said, though I formerly blasphemed and persecuted and insulted him, but I received mercy because I had acted ignorantly in unbelief. So here we see the apostle Paul saying, I was one of those people. I was a blasphemer of God. I was one who was a persecutor of Christians. He is the one that held the cloaks of the people who stoned Stephen to death. Also, he says, and the grace in verse 14, and the grace of our Lord overflowed for me with the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. So the Apostle Paul says, I'm an example of God's grace overflowing through faith and love. And then in verse 15, he says that the saying is sure and worthy of full acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, and I am the foremost of sinners. Folks, what a magnificent statement. The Apostle Paul is saying, hey, what I'm calling you to do to go and to wage heavy peace 
to go and to wage the good fight of faith against those who are seeking to tear the faith down. Hey, it's a good thing because why? He says, I am the foremost of sinners and Christ Jesus came to save me. So guess what? When we rise up and we call sin, sin, and we call out the errant teacher who is destroying the body of Christ, hey, God is glorified and people are saved. As we go back to the main thing and we demonstrate the truth of the gospel through the avenue of love to a lost and dying world, souls will be saved, lives will be changed, God's grace will flow, His mercy will flow, His forgiveness will flow, His faith will flow, His love will flow, sinners will be saved, and the world will be transformed, and we will not see the garbage that you and I are seeing manifested in prolific ways throughout our country and throughout our world. So what is the next step? You and I have responsibility before the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ to stand up to false teachers and hold them accountable for their destructive words. Command them to teach sound doctrine, which promotes divine training that is in faith and do it in love. It's really not that hard. It does take boldness. It takes love. It must be from an attitude of love and not one of fault finding and destruction, but yet at the same time, a willingness to go to bat for the truth of the gospel, to guard the church, to guard your hearts and to guard your family against a very real threat of becoming shipwrecked in your faith. And with that, I bid you peace. Hey, you've been listening to Glock Dot Rocks, God, the world and other things. Our mission, advancing equilibrium in the midst of an agitated world. I've been your host, Kenny Price. As always, be sure to check out the show notes for info on how you can email us, donate to help make this podcast possible, and all sorts of good info for your consumption. Man, if I can make the show notes scented, I'd make them give off the smoky old goodness, the way it smells when I'm smoking a brisket. Anyway, until next time, make it a good one.